Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. And if you find this podcast helpful in your theological rehabilitation, consider partnering with us in its production. Become a financial sponsor of That's What She Said on Patreon, a platform for supporting content you love. Thanks! Hey, church. For all those who don't formally know me, I'm Reverend Tyler Araki, he, him. And honestly, I am beyond honored and grateful to be here tonight. I started coming to Galileo in 2016, but getting there, here, wasn't easy. I guess it's really not for any of us, honestly. I don't want to get into the weeds, at least not yet, but I still wasn't sure if church was for me then, let alone even thinking about leading pastoral ministry. But the more and more I lived, learned, and loved alongside Galileo, it happened. It became home. And it always will be. And I'm just so, so grateful. So a couple weeks ago, Ashley Dargai preached about Galileo Church at the end of the world. This week, I'm imagining something on a bit of a smaller scale. We'll get to that specifically, but for now, I'll be reading from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, verses 13 through 28. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the son of humanity is? And they said, uh, some say John the Baptist, but others, Elijah, and still others, Jeremiah, or one of those other prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And he sternly ordered the disciples not to tell anyone that he was the Messiah. From that time on, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and undergo great suffering at the hands of the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. But Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this must never happen to you. But Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but on human things. Then Jesus told his disciples, If any want to become my followers... Let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For those who want to save their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit them 
If they gain the whole world but forfeit their life, or what will they give in return for their life? For the Son of Man is to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay everyone for what has been done. Truly, I tell you, there are some standing here who will not taste death before they see the Son of Humanity coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be to God. Who's actually good at goodbyes? me either. I mean, the very word is kind of a misnomer, right? What's so good about saying so long to someone or something that you have shared so much life, so many memories, so much good with? It can feel like a piece of your very heart is being broken off. I mean, hell, we ironically say goodbye to people we'd never really hope to see again. We've all done that, right? So I ask you, what the hell is so good about goodbyes to the people and places we adore? Maybe that's just it. No one really likes it. We just learn better to cope with that being a reality and part of life. All that to say, I just hate goodbyes. And because of that, I get Peter. I so often don't ever want to let go. I especially do not want to lose the beloved people in my life for all the cherished people in my life. I wish no one ever moved away or grew apart or let alone die. So when Jesus gives his beloved friends the shocking news that he must go back to Jerusalem, where he would endure gruesome pain and suffering and eventually would be killed. Of course, Peter protests. Oh, hell no, Jesus. This this will not happen. This can't happen. God forbid it. And given all that has happened thus far in their adventures, Peter's protest probably doesn't just have to do with his attachment to Jesus, but also because it would be just utterly unbelievable. Their pockets are still full of bread and fish, the leftovers from the feeding of at least 4,000 people in the desert. Not only that, but their minds are also filled with so many scenes of healings, a calming of a life-threatening storm, and Jesus himself walking on water. I mean, he could do it all. There's no way he would undergo great pain or even death at the hands of Rome. But even before Jesus makes this very pronouncement, he does that thing that makes all the disciples and students alike tremble. That's right, a pop quiz. (laughs) Who do people say the son of humanity is? At least that's a toss up, a question they actually have some answers to. John the baptizer. Uh, Some others say Elijah. Uh, Maybe that other prophet, uh, what was his name? Uh, Jeremiah, that's right. They answer Jesus' question from the hearsay and rumors that they have collected during during their travels. Here's why they answer Jesus so easily. It's because there's really no risk, really, in repeating what you have heard. Reporting what others believe, that's easy. 
And Jesus' disciples are more than happy to answer this with other answers. But their eagerness in answering is only half the equation because they are just as eager to hear which one is actually correct. So Jesus, uh, tell us which one is right. A, B, C, all of the above, none of the above. Which one is it? But the Messiah won't walk into that one so easily because instead of offering his answer, he wants their answers. Who do you say that I am? Oh, who, who do we say that you are? And you can hear it, crickets. There's no telling how long the silence lasts before Peter. You are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Whew. Thank God for Peter, right? The first one who dropped his nets, the one who first got off the boat to join Jesus on the waters, the one who answers without ever raising his hand. Of course, there's always a thin line between bravery and carelessness, and it's hard to tell when Peter crosses that line. But for here, it works out, because ding, 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 that's the answer that Jesus was looking for. What's still strange, though, is that Peter is actually still repeating an answer that is not his own. And Jesus makes this known. Blessed are you, son of Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And if this is not an original thought, if all Peter is doing, again, is just reporting something that he has heard, why is he so lavishly rewarded? and praised by Jesus. You can almost see the disbelief on the other disciples' faces. I mean, Peter is the one who sank after he got off the boat. He's the one who so often opens his mouth without even thinking, yet here's Jesus naming Peter as his number one, giving him an unbelievable promotion. You, Peter, are the rock on which I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. But also consider the one who jumps in after Jesus' declaration, after he tells him that he must suffer greatly, that he must die. It's Peter, again, out of the gates with such concern for Jesus. Surely, surely cannot, that can't, it surely cannot be the fate of the one who he had just proclaimed as the Messiah. But not only that, Peter can't. He won't stand by and watch his beloved friend suffer and die. You know, the older I get, and that's perhaps actually the wiser I get, I like to think so anyways, the more appreciative of Peter I become. Honestly, we see it time and time again. Peter just messes up, eventually to the point of denying that he even knew Jesus at all shortly after Jesus was arrested. And yet Jesus doesn't discard or replace Peter with someone more presentable or more productive. No, no, he, he makes him the rock of the church. 
And honestly, that's good news for all of us. For as quickly as Peter is named as the rock on which the church will be built, however, he's just as swiftly laid into by Jesus. And it's rather harsh. Get behind me, Satan. That's not God's logic. That's human thinking. But why walk into an obvious trap, Jesus? What's so divine, so holy about suffering that you could obviously avoid? If you knew that's what's coming, why not steer clear and live to preach, teach, heal, exercise for another day? Have you ever met people like that? I mean, there are at times stories about stuff like this, big and small, from someone jumping into a post-car crash fire in order to rescue a trapped driver, to people who volunteer to distribute medical supplies in war-torn lands, to students who do so much unpaid work at hospitals or night shelters. The list goes on and on, and we admire people like that those who risk so, so much. And yet at the same time, we also worry for them. We hear tales of daily danger, and so we voice our objections alongside Peter. God forbid it. I mean, what if you get hurt or worse? There has to be another way. But rather than field any concern Peter had, Jesus just snaps back. And can you imagine what was going on in the minds of the other disciples? The one who was called the rock of the church is now called a stumbling block. Actually worse, he's called Satan. I mean, what was so wrong with showing his concern? I mean, damn, Jesus, all he wanted was to find another way for you to go about doing ministry that wouldn't involve an untimely death. But as far as Jesus could tell, Peter was urging him to consider giving up his mission, to play it safe, to do what humans do, not what God wanted and needed. Talk less, smile more, Jesus. Play it safe, avoid Jerusalem. Why risk so, so much? Especially when you are so badly needed, live to fight another day. It's not such a bad thing, right? Some of y'all might recall that several years ago, 2017 to be exact, Galileo Church broke the budget. Well, the justice for LGBTQ plus people part, to be specific. That year, the state legislature launched a full-on legal assault against the rights and dignity of queer people, especially trans folk. And so we pushed back in all the ways that we could imagine. We shared rainbow donuts to, share, to show our support and solidarity. We sent so many people to learn and protest and advocate. We brought people here to teach and speak. We offered self-defense classes, marched in parades, set up booths, held various workshops. In the end, we spent three times the amount budgeted for queer justice, y'all. And that was only a little halfway through the year. Where's the financial prudence? Why almost go bankrupt? Spend less, save more, live to fight another day, right? 
There's just so often a thin line between reckless and courageous, right? Jesus so often breaks the logic of the world, and he does it again here, proclaiming that fearing suffering and death that actually steals from our lives. Because fearing death, it trickles into a fear of life where we become wary of anything that we might actually, so that we might actually stop living in the here and now. In this Eastertide season, our worship series of tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow, we're imagining Galileo Church at some point in the future. A couple weeks ago, the Reverend Ashley Dargai imagined Galileo Church and really with the whole earth at the end of the world. And that's on a universal level, but today I'm wondering about the end of Galileo Church, say 127 years from now. What if we have done what we set out to do, y'all? What if we have done justice, kindness, beauty, real relationships, and whatever it took, as much as possible? And what if our spiritual and ecclesial heirs did what Jesus said, what we try to practice? That is, what if they hold things and one another lightly, not with a death grip, but tenderly and loosely. God forbid it. This cannot happen, we might say. That is unimaginable. But what if, imagine y'all, what if the fight for queer justice were done in 127 years from today? What if our church descendants did it? Look, Jesus could have added the fact that everything will die one day and Honestly, that's not a surprise, right? So don't fear death at all. We don't need to cling so tightly to anything or anyone. But more often than not, the end comes about when we least want it. And yet, there's still the chance that the end can come about when we have done what we set out to do. From the beginning, our church had goals that we were looking to accomplish. And what a wonderful day it shall be to see them done. To think that the fight for queer justice would be over and that all Christian people could fully affirm the worth and dignity of all people. LGBTQIA plus people especially. I know, I know, it all sounds fanciful. It all sounds so improbable. And in some ways it is gut-wrenching. But here we are, church, risking so much because we believe that the moral arc of the universe actually does bend towards justice. So long as we continue in this work that we have started, and we will not relent until justice is had. Our work, our lives are not and will not be in vain. I am sure of that. Church, 10 years in, I believe our work will only be more important in the months and years ahead. And we will not give up, nor will those who come tomorrow and tomorrow and tomorrow. Thanks be to God, now and always. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. 
If what you've heard is helpful, consider becoming a patron of its production by joining our subscribers on Patreon. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and support the people who love them. We do kindness around mental health and mental illness, and we celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support our missional priorities, go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Share With Us. You'll have options to contribute through Venmo, PayPal, or your bank account. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace. Peace.